from Transport Topics in Washington, D.C. This is Road Signs. And now here's your host, Michael Fries. Thank you for listening to Road Signs, the podcast series from Transport Topics that explores the trends and technologies that are shaping the future of trucking. In our last episode, we took a review of 2021. In this episode, we look ahead to the brand new year and ask the question, what's in the store for the trucking industry in 2022? As you're probably thinking, there are several answers to this question. 2021 has presented several events that will shape the world of trucking for the new year. For instance, the world of mergers and acquisitions have experienced an uptick in the industry, and in 2022, it shows little signs of slowing. We'll speak more about M&A with our Transport Topics business reporter, Connor Wolf, later in the program. But first, we'll take a look at what arguably will be the top continuing issue of 2022, and that's infrastructure, with our congressional reporter here at Transport Topics, Eugene Malero. Welcome to the show, Eugene. Thanks for having me on, Mike. Glad to have you on. You know, one of the things about Eugene, when I first arrived at Transport Topics and um, just learning the ropes and learning about the issues of the trucking industry, especially when it comes to Congress, uh, Eugene was very helpful in, in my education. He sort of gave me a crash course. And in that same vein, I definitely wanted to talk to you about what transpired on 2021 and what it means in 2022. And the big thing, um, unless you were living under a rock, was the passing of the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act, which is now law. Um, that was a, a very big deal and a very big price tag as well, $1 trillion. Eugene, uh, like you have uh, told me and walked me through that whole process when we were just kind of just talking offline about this, um, why don't you just discuss the, the provisions that were in the act and, 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 and the impact? Yeah, this is a, a pretty big deal. It's very significant, especially uh, for the freight sector and just the overall transportation community. Ha- nearly half of the, legis- of the law, $550 billion, uh, would be dedicated for surface transportation and the mobility connectivity networks uh, that not only will touch on supply chains, but also transit, Amtrak, you know, pipelines, etc. So it's pretty much the entire connectivity system of the country. And when you start looking at specific provisions when it comes to freight and connectivity and uh, trucking, there's about, uh, give or take, uh, nearly $20 billion dedicated for upgrade funds for ports, and that is meant to modernize last-mile connectivities at our commercial ports. That's something, you know, that when you look at what's happening now with the supply chain, the White House has been touting that provision in the law. Another one that was very recently not only touted by the Secretary of Transportation earlier this year, but the White House very recently announced that it would be uh, on an all-hands-on-deck approach to carry out this provision is something related to um, increasing the workforce for truck drivers. There is a provision in the law to create an apprenticeship at the Department of Transportation to facilitate how truck drivers who are between the ages of 18 and 20 uh, enter the the sector, the workforce, to allow them to uh, train them extensively so they can operate trucks, they can drive trucks across state lines when they're working. Right now, federal law prohibits uh, truck drivers under the age of 21 
from working in a truck, driving a truck across state lines. That is something the White House very recently uh, in December announced that it would uh, be very dedicated to seeing that apprenticeship come um you know, come online, meaning that this will, program will very pretty much start sometime in the spring of 2022. And then when it, we're looking at infrastructure, Mike, uh, there's anywhere between, there's different tranches of billions of dollars that would be dedicated uh, for uh, grants for, to update infrastructure projects, not only to make them uh climate change resilient, able to withstand uh, a severe weather events, uh, but also to modernize them, to make them, um, you know, there's a term in the industry to make them, you know, smart technology, uh, autonomous, uh, self-driving, you know, all these technologies that are applications that are out there now or are about to come online in the very near future. There's money dedicated for these programs that are under the discretion of the Secretary of Transportation. So we're looking at, at the very near term, USDOT uh, awarding anywhere between $100 billion to probably twice that, again, in the very near term for projects around the country that would modernize uh, the connectivity networks uh, and are also able to benefit the regional economies. So, so those are several big provisions of this law. You know, one of the things also that um, is really intriguing when it, when it comes to this is, the, is that impact of it. Uh, you know, it's a you know, very big price tag that's on this bill. And there was a lot of wrangling going on back and forth on, you know, what this money uh, needs to be spent on and what's more important than the other. And as you were talking about with uh, Transportation Secretary uh, Buttigieg, he's going to be in charge of doling out all this money. So uh, from the the impact of that, uh, what from your reporting can you tell on just kind of how this will will all play out? So already we've had uh, the Department of Transportation uh, through their Deputy Secretary, Polly Trottenberg, she has outlined a uh, plan of action in that staff is already being dedicated to review requests for funding for projects around the country to take listeners into the weeds. That means that a State Department of Transportation or a planning, a reg- metropolitan planning authority, uh, they will put together you know, proposals for federal requests for funding, they will send that, submit that to the Department of Transportation, and that will go through a lengthy review. Uh, and then USDOT will determine which projects will be awarded uh, some of this, uh, these funds. Uh, and again, because of the injection of new money uh, that has been approved by this infrastructure law. Like I said, uh, there's about $100 billion for infrastructure projects. Then there's just like different pockets, you know, of like $15 billion here, $20 billion there for projects that are very freight-centric, rail-centric, transit-centric. It's, you know, all the modes, smart streets, safety, you know, the entire spectrum. And over the next several months, the Deputy Secretary of Transportation uh, said that that staff will be reviewing the request for funding. 
Um, and as early as the springtime, we could be seeing a cascade of approvals uh, for funds to be awarded for these projects. With that said, Mike, uh, the near-term benefits of this law will be, for a lack of a better term, this is what my people tell me, uh, will not be as tangible as the long-term benefits because some of the projects that will be uh, supported by this law are projects that are very multi-year, you know, in the planning uh, phase. So it's not something like they're going to repair potholes here and there around cities. There's some money for that, but there's also money to modernize a transit system in Washington, D.C., in New York City. And all those things take several years to do. Airports, ports, you know, and some of our commercial ports, you know, the average person doesn't drive around, you know, and stop at a commercial port and check it out, you know. So this could be outside of their purview. Nevertheless, you know, with what's happening with the supply chain and what the private sector is saying of, on the need for economic recovery, economic incentives, this is where, you know, the proponents, the White House, the sponsors of this law, you know, they point to those benefits that are more long term than near term. You know, you were talking about the improvement to, you know, bridges and tunnels and, and airports, you know, as well as ports and canals. And you've mentioned the supply chain. And oh, by the way, it's also a, a big topic for, that, that was a uh, major in 2021. And it's now that's right. Yes. And it's now a major. Well, it's continuing to be a major subject for 2022. Um, you, and, and you're reporting that's available on Transport Topics, uh, but online it's ttnews.com, um, that the U.S. Department of Transportation issued a series of grants for commercial maritime operations in freight hubs uh, along along parts of the supply chain. From your reporting, could you just uh, elaborate on that and and just kind of discuss discuss the the impact uh, that that it will have? Yeah, that's right. Uh, so very recently, the Department of Transportation announced that uh, nine port uh, maritime infrastructure projects around the country in Hawaii, New York, New Jersey, Tennessee, Texas, North Carolina, they would receive several, you know, about $2 million here, $3 million over there uh, for local operations to be able to have that extra, you know, injection of cash to come in and finish a project that is very, very much meant to improve connectivity of freight. So for instance, there's, um, I think it was about $3 million dedicated uh, for operations in New York and New Jersey. That money is dedicated for a very local project specific to taking freight from Brooklyn all the way to Newark, New Jersey, and having that that flow of freight through the waters, through commercial waters, to occur around the clock. That right now, you know, they lack the funds to make it like a 24-7 operation. Uh, so it's that that injection of money is to kind of get them across the finish line to make them more of a 24-7 operation, et cetera. And USDOT, that, that was the latest example of USDOT awarding these types of grants during, you know, the last six months when, you know, a lot of concerns over the supply chain has been, you know, on the private sector's radar. 
it reached all the way to Capitol Hill. A lot of lawmakers have been talking about it. Uh, we've been hearing from freight sector stakeholders. So besides this maritime grants, USDOT did a very significant awarding of several, you know, a significant grant money to give to the Port of Savannah to allow the Port of Savannah to stretch out their last mile hub in order to facilitate the flow of the last mile hub to avoid, to relieve, ameliorate, alleviate these bottlenecks at the Port of Savannah. The White House has, you know, really, really touted that as well as, you know, money that was dedicated for other ports and on the West Coast. And again, this is all in response to the supply chain. Again, to go back, and what's also significant, Mike, is that there's an expectation, USDOT has alluded to this, that there's going to be a separate from the infrastructure law, there's going to be more money dedicated for these types of port projects in the very near term. So that's the White House's, the administration's near-term plan to address supply chain crises right now. With the supply chain and with the, the ramifications of the, the new law that, that has passed, you know, that's going to make 2022 a, a very busy year, Eugene. Um, one thing that I want to ask you before I let you go and you know, through your reporting, and, and you've been covering this, you pretty much had a cover on this for, for the year, and, and then some. Um, what are some of the things that you're looking for for 2022 that's uh, you know, keeping you up at night? Yeah, so supply chain uh, is one. The supply chain, when you listen to the Secretary of Transportation, he's been saying that supply chain concerns are going to linger throughout 2022. So that's going to be on the radar. Mike, very recently, we got word that, you know, the president's second half of his domestic agenda uh, was this uh, nearly $2 trillion social infrastructure legislation will not be considered in the Senate this year. So that's something that will carry over into next year. That legislation is expected you know, my people are telling me it's expected to suck up a lot of the oxygen in the room on Capitol Hill. You know, there's several policies and rules all going on over at USDOT. Uh, the Bureau of Transportation Statistics is coming out with a survey to monitor how the behavior of truck drivers. By that, I mean their the way that they operate. Not you know, so to monitor you know what kind of truck they have, you know how they they drive, and all of that so they can put together a report uh, to make it publicly available so people can see, you know, so so industries and the government can have a really, really deep understanding of the freight landscape, especially on our highways. And then finally, Mike, it's going to be very political next year because it's the midterm elections. So when you have an election year, especially on Capitol Hill in Washington, pretty much Everything, and when I say everything, I do mean like 100% of everything on Capitol Hill has a political uh, undertone to it. You know, so everything that will happen on transportation, supply chain, you know, freight connectivity, etc., over in Congress, you know, you have to really watch it through the lens of these midterm elections because the control of the House is at play as well as the Senate. Uh, so, you know, monitoring those elections as well. We've been speaking with Eugene Malero, Senior Congressional and National Policy Reporter for Transport Topics. Eugene, it looks like you're going to have a very busy year ahead of you. And thanks for taking the time out to speak with us. You got it, Mike. Thank you. 
From time to time, an issue commands so much of the industry's attention that it requires a deeper dive, a resource readers can turn to, a transport topic special report. We're turning our attention to another big issue, electrification and the key factors that will drive this industry trend. In every case, we're working to provide our readers with information, analysis, and clarity on key issues confronting fleets. One comprehensive resource packed with insights that can give you the edge. Transport Topics invites you to learn more about our special reports. To reserve your copy of the latest special report, visit ttn.ws forward slash electrification. We took a look at the congressional happenings of 2021 and what to look forward to in 2022 with Eugene Malero. But now let's get to the business side of things with our business reporter, Connor Wolf. Welcome to the show, Connor. Hi, Michael. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. It's great to have you on. One of the things that was really hopping during 2021 and continuing to the to the new year is mergers and acquisitions. And I know that you have been covering that for Transport Topics for some for some time. And uh, just when it comes to M&A, it was a little bit slowed down in 2020. But um, during the second half of that year, things kind of picked up and kind of continued to 2021. Um, before we kind of get into the forward looking things of, of M&A, just kind of set us up on, on what the market looked like um, this previous year and how it kind of shapes up to what we're going to see now. Yeah, uh, of course. And it was incredibly fascinating what we saw. Uh, you're completely right. In kind of 2020, the you know, heart of COVID, we did see a massive slowdown in activity. And unsurprisingly, the uh, big reason for that was the coronavirus and the kind of the residual effects it had on the economy, especially at the beginning of the year when there was so much uncertainty and um, everything around that. People really didn't want to make massive business moves for the most part. And so that slowed it down. But that same slowdown that we saw is a huge reason why we saw an uptick uh, this year. So basically what happened is all the deals that theoretically should have happened in 2020 got pushed into this year. So all already we have uh, more than usual. Then um, just because of high valuations, because of this increased activity and high demand and other economic factors really making businesses look good, uh, carriers were on the small end and medium end were getting really good evaluations. So those people who have been kind of on the fence about selling their business, maybe an older carrier operator who wants to retire or something, but make sure their business is in good hands. The past year was a great time to sell since their business was a lot. Even businesses that were not performing well were getting pretty decent evaluations for the simple fact that we have equipment and driver shortages. And so, yeah, you may not be performing well, but you have assets that are worth a lot of money right now. Uh, so evaluations were high. Then a third factor that we're all kind of conjoined together into this year uh, was that there was uncertainty about next year, uh, 2022, over, you know, things like capital gains tax reforms and stuff like that, uh, which obviously will have an impact on what a business is worth or what you're going to get out of selling a business. And so some people that may have been 
thinking about uh, selling it in a couple years or so. They're looking at that uncertainty and those potential policy changes, and they're like, well, let's get it done now. Well, valuations are high, and and, uh, it's a good time to sell. So we're dealing with a situation where it's a good time for both buyers and sellers because of the high evaluation, but also high asset um, pricing, along with um, deals from the past being delayed to this this past year and deals that theoretically could have happened in the future being pushed forward. Um, so it all kind of converged together into this kind of perfect storm scenario for mergers and acquisitions. You know, one of the things this last month, I mean, in December, uh, you know, with, with Warner Enterprises, uh, uh, you know, acquiring a, um, you know, a final mile you know, carrier, I, I believe it was uh, NH, I mean, I'm sorry, NEHDS Logistics. Do, do you see, uh, with that particular type of acquisition, do you see those types of acquisitions, um, you know, moving on to this particular year? I mean, where, you know, you have those uh, long haul, you know, trucking businesses connecting with that that final mile uh, logistics, uh, logistic companies to sort of kind of uh, complete the circle w- when it comes to, uh, I mean, you know, their, their whole logistics channel. Oh, yeah, m- most certainly. So one of the lessons that a lot of carriers learned during COVID is that massive economic turbulence, like we saw with COVID, doesn't affect everything the same way. And when you talk about trucking specifically, it doesn't affect uh, verticals in the same way. So we talk about high demand all the time, um, you know, in our reporting and stuff like that, which is completely true, uh, something that's very... Uh, definitely did happen. Uh, But another piece of that is it wasn't equal across all the different verticals. Uh, Some did incredibly well and some didn't do well. Like uh, last year, auto manufacturers weren't doing that great because of some of the economic conditions that we saw. Well, uh, other ones, such as the ones that delivered to grocery stores and stuff like that, toilet paper, food, and stuff like that were doing incredibly well. Uh, Amazon was doing incredibly well. Um, So you look at that scenario and a lot of carriers suddenly realized, hey, I need to diversify my portfolio a little bit better. Not that Werner is in that same boat. Werner's obviously a massive uh, company in this space. So uh, not so much for them, definitely on the uh, more smaller end and uh, maybe the smaller end and medium. That was definitely a lesson learned because a lot of those companies operate in one vertical. That's their space. That's what they're experts in. But having a diversified portfolio means that you can more easily switch uh, your resources Resources and stuff to where demand is needed uh, or where capacity is needed because of high demand. So yeah, it's not surprising we're seeing the acquisitions as a form of growing inorganically because you get a new vertical. If you buy if you buy a business that's outside of your normal reach, you get a new vertical, but unlike growing it organically where you have to hire the people yourself, uh, you kind of have to build it uh, from the ground up and uh, gain basically your own expertise in this. You can take a business wholesale and that's already in that space, that's already an expert in that space. And uh, maybe you make a couple changes. You, obviously, on the back end offices, you want to make a couple changes. But then when it actually comes to the operations and the expertise, 
pretty much leave it to function the way it normally would because they're already experts in that space. And that diversification is a massive hedge against um, the type of economic turbulence we saw uh, last year and obviously to a lesser extent, but still pretty prominent this year. Uh, so yeah, definitely, I think um, that's something we, we have seen. Uh, it's something that a lot of carriers didn't realize. In times like these, it's crucial to stay informed. Transport Topics is offering all the information you need to make business decisions in these unprecedented times. And in the wake of the many event cancellations and group gatherings, TT ensures a virtual way to consume business content and conversation. To join the conversation and stay ahead of the news, follow Transport Topics on all social outlets or by visiting ttn.ws forward slash stay informed. You know, with mergers and acquisitions, we're talking about, you know, businesses buying other businesses, but you can't have a business without its people. And in this trucking industry, it's the drivers. And, you know, the driver shortage has been something that has seeped into every particular subject that's involved in this industry. Uh, One thing that we talked about with Eugene was uh, one of the provisions in the infrastructure bill was a measure to uh, lower the the uh, the age for 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 truck driving interstate truck driving to eighteen well not eighteen but uh, but under twenty one and that was done to uh, encourage more young drivers to get into the world of trucking and 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 with that and in your reporting just to kind of uh, tap into that. Um, you know, there's there have been a lot of trucking companies that have announced pay rate hikes to um, to entice more more drivers into the fold. Um, you've done a lot of reporting on that um, for this new year. Um, will we see something uh, that would kind of born some type of success, some type of uh, uh, mainly what I'm asking is what type of progress are we going to see in that and how will we uh, measure that particular success when it when it comes to companies trying to to entice more drivers by raising their rates. So, I mean, how, how do you think that will pan out? And what are you seeing through your reporting? Uh, so the driver shortage is incredibly complicated to say the least. So there's two ways, uh, there's kind of two uh, categories to look it in. One is the uh, driver pool we already have. And the other is growing um, that driver pool by getting more people into Uh, the industry. Um, And obviously, these legislative changes will hopefully grow the pool. And then some of the wages and stuff like that, that we've been seeing, the increased rates that um, carriers have been announcing, some of them being quite substantial, that goes into the other category where um, it's, at the moment, the most immediate fix from a carrier's perspective to this problem is fighting over this limited pool of labor that's currently there. And that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to be the ones with enough drivers to actually fill their customers' needs. Um, So they're fighting over this limited pool. And that's obviously a a race to the bottom if we're not looking at long-term solutions. The legislative changes um, that that you were talking about is to make sure we grow it. Uh, We have the SAFE Act. We have uh, provisions in the infrastructure bill, obviously. So this is something that uh, DC is very aware of and is something that they're trying to fix. And, you know, to their credit, uh, there is a lot of support for these types of legislative changes 
and they could help. It, it's not just lowering the interstate uh, professional driving age. This is comes with safety training, and uh, it's basically a, a beefed-up apprenticeship program. And where that's important is when you talk about a 21-year-old, a lot of 21-year-olds already have a career, or at least a career in mind by the time they're 21. You know, it doesn't seem that old, but 21's pretty old. Um, that's you, You're already an adult for a few years at that point. So by that point, you might have gone to college or technical school already, and you're already thinking about your long-term career prospects, or you already have it. So that's a problem for the trucking industry, because any chance of growing that pool with younger drivers are people who are already have careers or entering into a career. So you're basically peeling people away from another area of the economy. If we lowered it, um, even just through an apprenticeship program, so obviously there'd be limits on it, it would be more an educational process, but they're still working because it's an apprenticeship program. They're still able to get into the career at 18 or, or definitely before they're 21. And that, in theory, would alleviate a lot of these problems of trying to peel away people who already started their career because um, then this career in trucking is accessible to them right as they become an adult, which would be nice for people thinking about uh, doing that. They don't have to wait. They can just jump right into it. You know, one of the things when it comes to the driver shortage is no matter what solution may come our way or where we will arrive at, um, there's probably going to be some pain somewhere, be it on the, uh, the truck driver side or the uh, or the, the the truck company side. So I mean that that is definitely a to be continued issue for 2022 and probably well beyond. Uh, one of the things, Connor, that I want to uh, ask you before we let you go is, what do you uh, expect to see um, uh, other than the things that you have just explained? Um, what other issues are you looking at for this new year? So basically, all the trends I'm following, you know, uh, particularly uh, driver shortage, M and A activity, and all that stuff, is for next year. I'm I'm kind of expecting um, similar to this year, uh, and then probably you know along the way, uh, maybe in the second half, um, uh, somewhat of normalization, but not getting back to true normalization um, at any point in the year. So uh, with the driver shortage, obviously, uh, if you're looking at the uh, ATA projections, that's a problem that's just going to continue to get worse. And we may have marginal gains there because of legislative changes if stuff like that comes through. But I think that problem is just going to continue to get worse. Where it will normalize, though, is we may see some normalization with demand. Demand is so heightened right now that um, that once that starts stabilizing, well, it didn't really fix the problem on the worker shortage side, but at least there's a little bit less pressure on carriers uh, to get stuff out. So I expect demand will help. A normalization with demand, uh, or at least some consistency there, uh, will help alleviate some pressure on the driver shortage. For M&A activity, I think it will continue at a heightened level, but because uh, so many deals are, as I said earlier, so many deals that um, that probably would have been closed or started next year uh, got pushed into this year, I think that's going to start slowing down a little bit. We're probably going to see a lot of activity at the beginning of the year, uh, just as those deals that didn't get a chance to close this year because they started too late or 
the process just got complicated. That obviously is going to spill over into the beginning of the year, and that might last a whole quarter. I don't think it would last two quarters. And I think for the rest of the year, it will still be heightened, but it will start to slow down uh, a decent amount, and uh, you'll just start to see some normalization there. Though, uh, as I said, it will still be a little bit heightened, just not, it just will be void of the um, the unique kind of factors that uh, that this year uh, represented when it came to market consolidation. You know, Connor, I, I just kind of want to go back to what you were saying about the normalization of demand. Um, I mean, will you think just kind of, you, you're just talking about with, with the vaccines and, and just kind of the, the progress we're making through this pandemic and through this this new stage of the pandemic that we're in, and just kind of uh, getting a hold of this Omicron variant, uh, do you think that will sort of play into that normalization of demand and just kind of uh, getting to that new normal? I mean, I mean that should probably have some um, factor in all of this, shouldn't it? Oh yeah, most certainly. So, and I'm not a virologist, so um, I'm basing my opinions here off of. Uh, what the actual experts are saying. But so far, it seems like with each variant and evolution of the coronavirus, including the Omicron virus, it is more transmissible, but less less deadly, makes you less uh, sick, which is actually what you would expect when it comes to the evolution of normal viruses. I think the coronavirus is not ever going to go away, at least you know, in the foreseeable future, it's an endemic at this point. There's too many variants. There's too much evolution involved with this virus. What I think will happen, though, is as time passes, it will just become less and less lethal. And then obviously, uh, vaccines will be better developed and stuff since, you know, they were kind of rushed out the first time. Um, Not that that's a bad thing. You know, it's great that we had them right away instead of five years of uh, research and development like you could have had. And it does add protection, so uh, so that's great. But next year, we may have better vaccines as that research and development continues. Uh, but I don't think the coronavirus is going anywhere, um, it, at least its evolutions. But it's probably between the fact that it is evolving into a less deadly uh, contagion and vaccines are getting better and better, I think we're just going to reach a point where uh, we start to think about it more as kind of a seasonal flu. But I I think the concern is going to die down, but the virus is not. The virus is with us now. Once that does happen, though, the actual economic effects are going to obviously stabilize. So we don't throw the entire economy uh, to the wind and do massive shutdowns every seasonal flu. And from that perspective, once you get that type of economic normalization, you're not worried about vaccine mandates. Once we're past that, once we're past shutdowns and all that stuff, and we just learn to live with a less lethal version of the coronavirus, things are obviously going to stabilize. And I think that's it's likely that will occur next year, or at least the year after, because we're already kind of getting into that point already. And then once the economy starts stabilizing, then we get into a situation where uh, the trucking industry, which obviously fuels uh, the greater economy, makes sure um, the economy has the stuff that it needs, it will start normalizing for that as well. But that's not the only factor uh, impacting demand, though. There was definitely the coronavirus did cause some shifts in supply chains simply because of people were staying indoors more and stuff like that. Uh, so that will return back to normal. But there's 
other shifts in the supply chain that will probably remain permanent just because people got used to it. People are using Amazon more, for instance, ordering groceries online. And then there's also inventory builds uh, that will start to normalize hopefully soon, but they've been trying to catch up on that for the last two years. So we'll see how that goes. So I think next year, those factors are going to start to are going to play into this normalization that we saw. But as I said, not complete normalization. We've been speaking to Transport Topics reporter Connor Wolf. Connor, it's been a pleasure having you on. I always love talking to you. Thank you, Michael. It's great to be on. Did you know you can ask Alexa to open Transport Topics? In just one minute, you will hear the biggest trucking headlines of that day. Be prepared and start your morning off right with Transport Topics. Before we close, let's take a moment to revisit our original question. What's in store for the trucking industry in 2022? As we've heard from Eugene and Connor, there's quite a bit to look forward to in the new year. First off, in the rearview mirror is the cynical talk of Infrastructure Week, as those gestures are now transformed into action spurred by the passage of the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act. Now that the washing wrangling for this issue is in the past, the funding resources will go to the many bridges, roads, railways, and ports in desperate need for repair. As for the provisions to encourage a younger generation to a world of trucking, we'll wait and see how much impact it will make on this ongoing driver shortage. However, the world of trucking moves on, and if action that Connor describes continues, there will be no shortage of business opportunities in the industry. Although the pandemic slowed down the process of mergers and acquisitions in 2020, the industry has shown its resiliency last year and looks to continue its strong pace for 2022. If you enjoyed this episode of Road Signs, please let others know. Rate us and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If my questions have sparked questions of your own, share them with the Road Signs team. Or reach me on Twitter at Michael V. Freeze. You can email us at share at ttnews.com. We'll read them and respond daily. And of course, we'll be back in two weeks with a new episode of Road Signs. Until then, I'm Michael Freeze. Thank you for listening.